My favorite scene in the novel and then the musical Les Miserables is when the former convict, Jean Valjean, I'm trusting many of you are familiar with this, Jean Valjean finds a meal and shelter for the night in the house of a bishop. And the kind bishop treats him with great dignity. He gives him a nice meal. He insists that the servants bring the, the silver, the finest for this esteemed guest. And then as the house sleeps that night, temptation grows in Jean Valjean. And temptation leads to sin. And he moves quietly through the house and he bags that silver service. And he steals away into the dark. And in the morning, he is apprehended as a vagrant by the local police. And, of course, they find on him this silver. And it's ridiculous that he insists that this was given to him. That the, No, no, the bishop gave me this. They laughingly take him to the bishop. And then... To everyone's utter surprise, the bishop confirms Jean Valjean's story. Oh, yes, this honored guest. He stayed with me. He has been gifted with abundance. And let's enter the story at that point. My friend, resumed the bishop, before you go, here are your candlesticks. Take them. He stepped to the chimney piece, took the two silver candlesticks, and brought them to Jean Valjean. The two women, the serving women, looked on without uttering a word, without a gesture, without a look, which would disconcert the bishop. Jean Valjean was trembling in every limb. He took the two candlesticks mechanically and with a bewildered air. The police then retire. Jean Valjean was like a man on the point of fainting. The bishop drew near to him and said in a low voice, Do not forget, never forget, that you have promised to use this money in becoming an honest man. Jean Valjean, who had no recollection of ever having promised anything, remained speechless. The bishop had emphasized the words when he uttered them. He resumed with solemnity, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. That is a prophetic act. That's, that's enacted prophecy. The man sows life into another who will then come to endure greater trials. And the silver is a symbol of the hope sown into him. Several of the film versions, there was one maybe five years ago now, do a nice job of bringing those candlesticks into subsequent scenes. They're, they're there in the room. You, you see them in every phase of Jean Valjean's later life. And I say this is a prophetic act because prophecy of restoration. And that's what that is. It's a prophecy of restoration. It speaks truth that cannot be immediately verified. There's nothing here in the circumstances to suggest that this will come about as has been spoken. 
So often, like, like this moment, prophecy comes when the circumstances suggest the impossibility of the hope. And yet, the word is spoken. Prophecy is a gift for times when only the promise of the Lord can comfort. There's nothing else about the moment that can bring comfort. Only a word from the Lord. And his words provide hope when the times are hopeless. When nothing around suggests that things will ever get better, and the power of a word of hope, the power comes from the trustworthiness of the speaker, the Lord of hope. Because when that speaker is God, the hope is firm. It's as firm as he is, no matter the circumstances. Jeremiah prophesied in just such a time. Nothing about the circumstances, nothing suggested the possibility of restoration. Israel was on the verge of destruction. I should say the kingdom of Judah. King Jehoiakim and uh, the nobles had been removed in 597. That's when Daniel was taken off, taken to Babylon. Zedekiah had been appointed by King Nebuchadnezzar as a puppet king, just putting in place the will of Babylon. But he had rebelled foolishly, and so Jerusalem was besieged for two years before its fall in 586. Sieges are nasty, terrible things. And during that dark and desperate time, Jeremiah was imprisoned in the court of the guard because he had been speaking unpopular prophecies, saying, you will fall. This city will fall. We will be taken to Babylon. Very unpopular message. Others were saying, no, they're going to be, they're going to leave. They'll They'll grow tired of the siege. And so there in the court, there in the dark, at times he was stuck in a pit. There, Jeremiah saw visions. It was soon to be the worst of times. And before it came about, Jeremiah saw it, was shown him. He saw visions of the desolation of Israel as a waste place without man or beast. In the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, desolation without man, without inhabitant, without beast. Desolation. The vineyard of the Lord was cut down. He saw it. The song of Isaiah 5, Isaiah chapter 5, was fulfilled. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts, this is Isaiah the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are his pleasant planting. A hundred years earlier, Isaiah had prophesied it, that the vineyard would be destroyed. The Lord had said, I will remove its hedge. It shall be devoured. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. This city will become a wilderness. Isaiah had seen it, 
And Jeremiah now was seeing it come about, and he saw, he saw what it would become. God's people would be destroyed as a people. And in the destruction of the temple, so the walls would be thrown down, but also the temple, so that they would cease to be the people with whom God dwelt. No temple, no house of the Lord, no dwelling of God with men. So who they were, their very identity, gone. It's, that was the thing that made them different from all the nations. They didn't just have a local deity. They didn't just have a, a minor spirit. But the creator of heaven and earth, the one who made everyone, had chosen them and come to live among them. And that would cease to be. And if that would cease to be, they would cease to be. And Jeremiah saw the end of the line of kings. David's vine would be cut down. That's the regular way that the imagery of the vine is used. The line of kings represents the people, and that would be cut down. Jeremiah saw and knew that King Zedekiah's children would be killed. And in fact, when that siege was broken, Zedekiah's sons were brought before him and they were all killed. The last thing that he saw, because then they tore out his eyes. That's the last image he had, his sons being killed. The line of kings. So that was the context for Jeremiah's prophecy. Hopeless circumstances. Could it be worse? Nothing to suggest that Israel could ever be restored as God's people. So it's into that pitch blackness that the hope of the Messiah was spoken. That these verses were given, were spoken from that torn and broken stump, that vine the stump of the vine of Israel, there will spring a righteous branch. Behold, this is Jeremiah 33, 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And verse 17, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. The temple's going to be destroyed. There will always be a priest offering sacrifice. So into this fear, into the desolation of the moment, the Lord reminds them of his promises to Israel, to Judah, 
promises that are fixed. Because through Isaiah, the Lord had promised that he would raise up a king. This is what we sing around this time. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. A prince, a prince from heaven who will reign forevermore. But a hundred years had passed since Isaiah had prophesied that. No king. No king had come. And now another prophet. And the Lord renews his promise. He renews it. The days are coming when they will be fulfilled, he says. Now there's a wonder here. Because in these same visions, did they come in the same night? We don't know. Probably over the course of a few days. In these same visions, Jeremiah sees that Zedekiah and his sons will all be killed. He knows the vine of David will be cut down. The branch is cut off. But he's got to speak what the Lord says. And the hope that the Lord gives. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. There is, there is a line of succession. King Jehoiakim had been taken to Babylon. And through him, through his sons, the line would be restored. But it would happen in some way that no one would understand. Verse 17 gives a comment on this branch. David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. The Levitical priests will never lack a man in his presence to burn incense, to offer sacrifices. Do you hear the note of perpetual service, constancy? Jeremiah, he's seeing the same thing that Isaiah had seen. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Perpetuity. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it forever, to uphold it with peace and justice from this time forth and forevermore. This was a mysterious thing God was promising. Mysterious. A son to sit on David's throne. A branch from David's line who would increase the kingdom. Who would bring perfect justice. Who would bring righteousness forever. But somehow would also be called mighty God, everlasting father. How could that be? How does that... David's line, and yet he's the prince of peace, mighty God. How could that be? How does that happen? How does that come together? But it was in that hope that they waited. And they puzzled, just like those guys in Persia, puzzling. This was one of the rabbinical puzzles. How is the Messiah king and God? Some of them went one way. Some of them went another. Some of them thought that 
uh, only God himself would come, but not as a man. Some of them thought that Israel would be God. It would be perceived as God. But it was in this hope that they waited. Those who had faith in God, that he would keep his word. That he would keep his word. That's really kind of a, it's a small thing. It's a simple thing, I should say. That God would he'd keep his word. Is God honest? You know, you come, that, that's the way we talk about that sort of thing with one another. If you keep your word, you're honest. Is God honest? Some of them believed he was. And the way, the way of waiting, the way of hope, it was a function of faith in the one who had said it. Did they have faith in the one who had said it? And many did. They believed his word. They believed what he had said, not because of the circumstances, but because he had said it. Because God gave this prophecy to sustain his people for a long time through desolation, through the experience of walls being thrown down, through the experience of the temple destroyed. Eventually, they saw a meager Jerusalem rebuilt. Eventually, they saw a politicized spectacle of a temple. Herod's temple. And after they returned out of exile... They were subject to empire after empire. And still they held to these promises that a branch would spring from David's line. It wasn't the Maccabees when the Maccabees came to power. It wasn't, wasn't them. They couldn't claim that. The Herods certainly couldn't claim it. They weren't even Jewish. And yet... Yet, year after year, as they came to the festivals in Jerusalem... Whether it was uh, the site was desolation or whether it was um, an economic forum, they kept coming and they sang Psalm 80. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Let your hand rest on the Christ. And they sang Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So the hope was for this child who would be born, this son who would be given. Government would rest on his shoulders. He would be of the line of David. He would deliver and he would restore his people to right standing with the Lord of all. Well, we wait too. 
we, we wait. And I think I'll leave it to you to, to make a cultural assessment. In what sense do we wait uh, as compared to the exiles of Israel or returned exiles or the decadent time of the Herods? We wait in some such time. Part of our Advent, part of our Advent is what we just experienced with the kids. It's treasuring the glory that the promised son has come. That's, that's, what, that's the festive note of this season, right? We treasure. He has come and he has brought healing in his wings. Because of his coming, we can be here. He's made his spirit available to us. He's offered forgiveness and embrace. He was the branch of David. Jesus said too, I am the vine. That wasn't just, he wasn't just, oh, here's, there are vines on the hillside. That makes a nice metaphor. Yes, it does. He's referring to the vine all throughout the Old Testament scriptures. I am Israel, he says. I am Israel. I am the king. You are the branches of this king. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. The kingdom of God is within you as you are in me and I am in you. Welcome to the kingdom, he says. The government has been placed on his shoulders. Its eternal increase has begun. I just shared some news about the increase of his government and of his kingdom. He himself went to somebody this week in, the sick, in a sickness of death, and he said, no, no, you are mine. That is so strange and awesome. The increase of his kingdom is at work. He's brought redemption. By his stripes we're healed. But another part of our advent, another note of this time is our waiting. So we have the festive joy of hope fulfilled but we are waiting. We acknowledge boldly things are not as he made them to be and as they will be. We need the hope of Advent in the midst of our desolation. The world is heavy with fear. It may lay heavy on you. America is groping desperately to assuage fear and pain through all sorts of escapism, political solution, political messiahs, visions of human governments that bring a human peace, but it is growing thin. It's wearing thin. Our desperate scrambling, it, it's wearing on us. And each time, you know, each time you lean on a false hope and it proves untrustworthy, it wears a, a little thinner. And the suspicion is growing that things can't go on in this way. Even among those maybe especially among those who don't know the Lord. 
can't continue this way, at this pace. And the world is afraid. Our culture is afraid. And we are followers of Jesus. And out of all the peoples of the earth, out of all the peoples of the earth, followers of Jesus have a hope that's secure, that, that isn't contingent on human behavior, that isn't contingent on human solutions, isn't contingent, con, I just lost the word, contingent, isn't dependent on human uh, governments, laws. Our hope hangs on the promises and the authority of Jesus. The Christ has come. He reigns. He reigns on high. He reigns in us. He's within us. And he is coming to establish his kingdom of peace. And it will be over all the earth. Do we see it? Right now, no. We see glimpses. We see glimpses. But our hope is not dependent on what we see. Our hope isn't dependent on the circumstances. It's dependent on his word of promise, just like it always was. So we join with ancient Israel in longing. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We mourn in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Bring your justice. Establish peace unending. Punish the oppressors. Let there be justice and righteousness. Bring your kingdom over all the earth. Bring light into darkness. Lift up the downtrodden. Restore hearts that are broken. Give hope to the hopeless. So as we wait, as we wait, our gift to one another, we can offer this gift to each other. And I hope it's being offered right now. I'm trying to offer it. Our gift to one another and our gift to the world is the word of hope. It's, the, it's hope. We know the true horizons. We know the glory that will be. We know the forgiveness and the kindness of the Lord who's coming. We know that he's going to set things right and that he's eager to set people right. Now, we know every family that is enslaved will be set free. Every child that's in a brothel is going to be made whole and safe. Safe. Every oppressing power is going to be broken. No human government can do it. Only the almighty power of the Lord. So we can be like that bishop in Les Miserables, speaking the prophetic word of peace in places where it's not known. Our hope is Emmanuel, is God with us. And so we wait in hope because we have faith in the word of him who speaks. We hope because we believe his word.
And we finish with this word from Revelation, this word that is secure. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Glory be to God. Father, you said this. So we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, Come, and I pray that you would waken faith in us to believe you, that you're honest, that you're trustworthy and true, and because you've said it, it is in motion. Lord, redeem your world and start with us. Restore us. Turn us from our vain and empty hopes. Lord, lift our eyes to you, we pray, in the name of Jesus.